Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Lover Girls podcast. Today we are joined by a very special guest, Avery Allard. Um, Avery is an amazing athlete and incredible human being. She is from Winnipeg, Manitoba. She competed for Manitoba at the 2017 Canada Games, where, fun fact, you actually beat Nova Scotia in the Canada Games, and you guys won gold medal. It was really iconic. She recently graduated from the University of Saskatchewan, where she had an incredibly successful career, both on and off the court there this summer. She played for Team Canada for the next gen and the A-team. She's played professionally in Italy, and now she's playing professionally in Switzerland, which we're going to dive into more later. But thank you so much for joining us, Avery. We're really excited to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we get to catch up after nine years. <laughs> I was it's telling time. I was like, we, I literally met her at like a junior national team. Do you remember what I'm yes, talking about? Yes, I do, yeah. In Niagara. <laughs> yep. It was me, you, and Kat Callahan. Yeah. And it's just funny. Nine years later, here we are. Here we are. Who would have thought? <laughs> okay. So we really want to chat with you about your university career. Can you talk yeah. about um, your time as a Husky? Yeah. Um, so I was pretty simple decision to go to the U of S. Um, they, at the time, I really wanted to go into vet school and that was kind of the place to be if you wanted to be a vet. Um, and both the coaches there, Mark and Shelly Dodds, just seemed like a really great fit for me to go there. Um, yeah, it was probably the easiest and best decision I've ever made. Um, it's pretty daunting, you know, coming out of high school and having to pick mm -hmm. where you're going to spend the next, hopefully, five years. Um, but yeah, they made it really easy. They, yeah, made everything super easy. The transition was awesome. Um, it was a hard six years, so very thankful that I chose to go there. In my first year, I redshirted. Um, I was I had a few super random but pretty taxing injuries, um, and we also had three setters. So just for the team's in best interest, it was better if we had two. Um, so then I played the next two years, and then it was COVID, and then I played another two years. So all together, I could have played for seven years, but I left last year. Yeah, it would have been a really long seven years. But if you would have asked me last summer, how many years are you going to play at the U.S., Avery? I would have told you I will stay until they force me to leave. <laughs> Life changes, as I've learned. So <laughs> no, awesome. was there. Yeah, it was, it was a good run. We got to host playoffs. Home one year for Canada West was insane made, met a lot of really great people some of my best friends and yeah it was a good place to call home for six years that's awesome so you studied vet school education so i i did not i didn't even do a full year of science i did a for like one semester of science and then i was like i don't want to do this mm -hmm. um and then the year after i transferred into a program called suntep which is um sask Saskatchewan's Urban Native Education Teachers Program. Teachers Education Program. <laughs> and it's for aspiring Métis educators. So um, I'm from Winnipeg. Uh, my family on my mom's side is Métis. Um, so I applied for this program. and was super pumped when I got it. It's a pretty intensive education program. That's You have to major in Indigenous Studies and pretty much your whole degree is built on that. So the whole program is pretty much set up so that when you teach, you have all the tools that you need to have a classroom that's super inclusive um, towards not just indigenous um, knowledge and studies, but to all sort of like BIPOC um, mm -hmm. related subjects, like how to be um, an anti-racist educator at the end of the day is I guess what we were being taught to do and that really took to me. I really, after my first like two weeks, I was like, holy heck, like this is what I need to be doing. This is what I want to do when volleyball is over. I'm very thankful to have that feeling because I know a lot of athletes don't get that. Mm -hmm. It's scary. <laughs> yeah. What was kind of, so you started in sciences. Yeah. I guess kind of like, how did you know that you wanted to switch into education? Because Julian... <laughs> We, we don't have the career goals quite yet. 
like like you said it's hard to know yeah it's so hard yeah I feel like so many people want to switch programs or they're just not sure was there like something that pushed you into switching your program or like what was that experience kind of like okay you're gonna actually think I'm crazy but my (laughs) so (laughs) my mom's a teacher she teaches grade one Mm -hmm. and in grade six actually my okay so when I was in grade five my mom quit her job and became a secretary at my elementary school and later that year she was accepted into a program that was kind of like SunTap um, but it was in Winnipeg and it was evening and weekend classes so she decided she was going to go back to school and be a teacher so she went back to school for six years uh, two nights and one Saturday a week and then in the summers it was all day throughout the weeks Um, so she did that for six years and then once she started teaching she taught grade one and I thought she was crazy. And I was like, you are, there's no way I, you could not pay me enough money to teach. Like there's no way in the world. And at that, she teaches now at my elementary school and my grade six teacher who just retired, uh, whenever I go to visit, she always makes fun of me because she was like, Avery, you remember on picture day, on the last picture day of grade six, I told you, you were going to be a teacher. I said, yeah, you did. And I told her there's no way in a hundred, like, lives that I live not one of them (laughs) I'd be a teacher (laughs) there you go So just like I don't even know what it was at the time I really 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 wanted to get married young and have kids and like my dream was to be a wife and a mom and that's Mm -hmm. kind of what I was setting up the rest of my life around yes I wanted to play my volleyball career at the U.S. and like have my awesome university years in Saskatchewan and live my life but at the end of the day I really wanted a career that was going to make me the best mom possible mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is hilarious because now i that's why i went there and that's definitely not why i stayed in the program mm-hmm. um so yeah that was that was why i transferred and i remember meeting with mark my coach and being like okay but if i major if i go into education and major in sciences then i can change my mind and he was like avery little you really wanted to be a vet but you, you don't want to be that anymore. And that's okay. Like you do not have to hold on to that still. Right. Like, just because you've been saying it all your life does not mean like you're giving up or like quitting on that. Yeah. Like it's just not what you want anymore. And I think that was also a big turning point for me that maybe I don't want any of the same things that I used to want. Yeah. That's really so, good advice. I think. Yeah. I a hundred percent. I, I needed to hear that on yeah. more than one area. <laughs> No, shout out to your coach. Yeah, <laughs> we love him. He's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was, it was scary. It was really scary changing programs, but it was worth it. Yeah, totally. I feel like you ended up with something that you care a lot about. And like that, at the end of the day, that's what we want too. It's just like something that we are like so passionate yeah. about. Um, and we're still you know, working through that. But can you talk a little bit about the work you've done with the Indigenous community and why that's meaningful to you? I know you mentioned a little bit, but if you could chat more about that. For sure. So in, oh my goodness, years are so mixed up in my head. I want to (laughs) say I must have been in grade nine. So 2017. I can fact I can fact check for that for you after. But one of my best friends, her name's Tracy Leos, she, her and I were the only Indigenous ringette players on this on this ringette team, and we played together um, alternating years because ringette there's not enough people to do like 18 u 19 u so it's mm-hmm. every two age groups. Um, and she was the only other Métis girl that I really even knew of in the sports community or at all that I wasn't related to. And, you know, being a kid who grew up and played on 10 different sports teams, like it, it was just odd to me looking back now that she was the only person that I could ever, like, see even the smallest bit of myself in, and especially playing volleyball. Like, that became less and less and less and less. Um, in Manitoba, I don't know if it's in other provinces too, but it's a lot of the middle upper classes that play volleyball. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of people from my community, from where I grew up, from my school. Um, so yes, that kind of started this conversation between her and I throughout the years. You know, we drifted um, back and forth to each other, um, but I've always kept in contact. 
Um, and that was always kind of the center of conversation. And then one day she, when the murdered and missing indigenous women, girls and two spirit, um, calls to action came out and they were doing the big inquiry. She ran from her home community of St. Laurent, Manitoba to the forks, which is in the middle of Winnipeg, um, in order to raise awareness and money for these families, um, and for education to be pushed in our school systems for the awareness of indigenous injustice in general. Um, so after she did that, I, like it it just did not leave my brain like I was like wow I really wish I could do something like that and would sit there and think and think and think and like what the heck can I do to not feel so helpless like Mm -hmm. I feel like I need to be doing something and I'm sure you guys can relate to the platform that we have as athletes is Mm -hmm. insane and to not use it for something good would not that it's a waste but it's just like like I, I want to take advantage of that um so when we were in Trinity, uh, we were in Langley, BC, the year before COVID, and there was a professional volleyball player. I'll send you her Instagram after, and she actually wore a red handprint, which is like the, I don't want to say the logo, but like the symbol for murdered and missing Indigenous women, and she wore it on her shoulder, and she played overseas, and it was kind of like this like hush hush thing because it was political and the club didn't really want her to do it and it became this thing on Instagram and I was like okay if if she's risking like her career and her reputation overseas to do this like there's there's got to be something I can do mm-hmm. um so I went I went to Mark's to Mark and Shelly that weekend my coaches and I was just like can I talk to you guys for a second and Mark was like yeah well, like what's up said I run a right MMIW on my leg when I play <clears throat> and like explained to him who this girl was and showed her showed him the story and stuff like that and he was like yeah of course like anything you want to do you know we always have our support so originally it started with KT tape so we took <laughs> pieces of KT tape and taped them in in like the letters MMIW going down my thigh and I had an allergic reaction so the MMIW was on my leg like permanently in rash for about two months <laughs> oh yeah yeah so after that we like started writing it in marker that worked a lot better there you go um but after that game and especially because it was in Langley where it's like a very small city they have a very wide audience like a lot of people come to watch those games Mm -hmm. I must have had upwards of 50 Instagram DMs asking me what that was about and that for me right there was like the, the the whole point Mm-hmm. Like I didn't really, if whether they were asking me about it or not, whether they were Googling it, asking the person beside them, DMing me, like the whole point of it was to bring up the conversation. Yeah. And this movement, I guess, became so, such a, I don't know, a heavy thing to carry. Um, Tracy and I would talk about it very often that after they did this whole inquiry, the report, the numbers came back that as an indigenous woman, you are more likely to be murdered or to go missing than to graduate. And that was just like, there's no freaking way that that's a possible or B like, how has it come to this, I guess? Um, So yeah, I think that that weight, the more people ask me about it, the more I felt like, okay, if, I'm doing it and she's doing it and these other people are asking about it then it was like okay we're, we're maybe we're getting somewhere mm-hmm. um and in turn going back to school and learning about more of this stuff and about systemic racism and oppression and it just like one piece of my life led to the other and everything just kind of fell into place which is so strange because it's very rare that that happens to me um and then after two summers Two summers later, Tracy approached me with this idea that she was going to found a nonprofit called Wanishka, which means like get up, um, do something, like rise. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we she founded that, and I, myself, and one other um, girl from our hometown, we were the three the board of directors. The three of us made up the board of directors, and we our goal was to create more space for indigenous youth and young adults. Um, So we started an Instagram that would share different stories of different people. Um, 
and just kind of like news in our in and around our local community and the biggest thing for us was to create more of a community and space on social media where youth felt like they could see themselves because even like even now you don't see a lot of like indigenous athletes on the front page of anything mm-hmm. and it's, and in turn like you take that and times it by 100 and that's what the school system's like like you don't mm-hmm. see until the last two or three years you wouldn't see an indigenous author a poster with an indigenous um academic person on it like you would these things just weren't there and i think that this becomes more than just a systemic thing at some point because the kids who are in these classrooms who don't see themselves as professionals or who don't see themselves as successful like that is not something that they're registering consciously but it's being reinforced in ways that a lot of people don't really think about um so through Anishka we also did some programming we did a before and after school or just an after school program um with the sacred grandfather teachings um so each week was a different teaching that's paired with a different animal um so we applied for funding and tracy did this in regina because at the time she was in regina i was in saskatoon and the other board of director was in winnipeg so we got this grant money and we did this um program and each week had like a little like if it was i believe our week for love you that each kid got like a little plant and they got to plant it themselves and put it in the pot and like learn how to take care of it Um, And just creating space for kids to be surrounded by kids who are also like them, um, kids who can see and they can connect with, um, with also with people our age who they can connect with. And then something on the younger adult side, we did um, a book group or a book club. Um, So we got, we applied for more funding and this funding allowed us to buy books and send them to anyone who wanted to be part of this book club, we'd read and we'd, we'd, we'd meet like once a month. We had a Facebook group club or Facebook group chat. Um, and yeah, stuff like that. We had, we launched some apparel to raise money for some of the other stuff that we were doing. Yeah. And then in, I guess it's two years ago now when they first started uncovering all the burials for the unmarked, or the unmarked burials for um, the residential school children. I, yeah, that was a really weird time for me. It was my first summer not coming home to Winnipeg. So I was still in Saskatoon, um, which meant that I wasn't really close to any of, you know, my people and watching this all go down kind of like it felt like from afar, um, was just really hard. And at that time we didn't have a big group of like, indigenous husky athletes at all um or not like we didn't meet or anything nobody really knew of each other or like ever talked about these things you know um so when again I was back to square one thinking okay what can I do like I need to do something I can't just sit here um so I decided I was going to walk one kilometer for every um child that they found and within like a month, I was walking over thirty thousand kilometers. So that was it. Became super daunting, super fast. So I made that commitment, and then within a month, I was like, "This is going to take me years. Like this will yep. take me years." Mm-hmm. Um. So my cousin and her like so it was me and my dog who were calculating all these miles or kilometers, and we walked and walked and walked and walked, and I had teammates come walk with me some of my old props walked with me some of the people that I teach with came to walk with me I walked a lot by myself I had some people from Winnipeg just call me while I walked and it was cool to see the support that came I had a GoFundMe going um, that all the money is going to uh, a foundation based in Ontario that puts their money towards helping schools get the resources required to teach about these kinds of things. Um, And at the end of the day, I guess that has been my goal with both this MMIW and this walk, um, like to just get it out there more, to raise awareness and to educate 
um, just so it's not as unknown, if that makes sense. Like, I, I totally. want people to know what's happening in our country. And yeah, that's kind of where my teaching and my advocacy meets. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think it's really cool how like there's this intersectionality I feel like of like your experience but also your passion of education too and how you're able to kind of feed back into that it's just like honestly so inspiring and I feel like I hope like young athletes can listen to this too and just like hear everything you're saying like I'm like floored how much you're doing and then I'm thinking about like you being a student athlete studying like in education and then like still doing all these things and like that's genuinely so crazy and so amazing um, that you could use your passion in that way and dedicate so much time and effort into that while also being like not only playing volleyball but like being excellent at it and like accomplishing all these things while also really like feeding back into your community I think it's just so inspiring and something that um, yeah I just want to like commend you for honestly I think that's so awesome um, yeah, it's, uh, I genuinely can't imagine like the hours spent and like the time and energy and like yeah it's just your passion yeah. is very like evident and I think that's really awesome thanks I think it's a a lot it's not easy but it's easier to do when you are passionate with it but also I've always kind of felt like if if I don't do it well then who is kind mm-hmm. of thing especially when it comes to thinking about myself as a young Indigenous athlete, like, I didn't have anyone, like, Tracy to look up to, or not that I knew of, like, and social media obviously wasn't as big back then. Um, But, again, like, I don't know. It's just hard to sit with that feeling, knowing that if I have the time and the passion to be doing something, I should definitely be doing it. Yeah, yeah, and that kind of led to a few more things out of the U.S. We started a... A group of athletes um, were not necessarily associated with Husky athletics, but we're a group of Indigenous athletes who all happen to be Huskies. And we did some pretty cool things last year. We did a day in a life. So we partnered with one of the local high schools and we each got an athlete or two. Um, and so the Indigenous students were um, partnered with athletes. The majority of us um, were Indigenous and we got to spend the day with them on campus and they could come to our practices and stuff like that. And we took them bowling at the end of the day. And it was just, it was super cool to see something like that come together. Um, so yeah, we'd meet every now and then and we'd talk honestly about everything. Like we talk about initi- initiatives we'd want to do um, on school grounds or off school grounds or with coaching. Uh, one of the other people in the group, his name is Raymond Fox. He runs a nonprofit as well. And his focus is on mostly with soccer and getting kids into the city to play soccer um, with no cost so that more um, kids from his community access to sports. Um, So just being able to meet with other people who are like-minded, like cultured, like who want to share these things. uh, We created a really cool space. Uh, And then I was asked to join a board of, mostly faculty for Husky Athletics um, and talk about what initiatives they were doing and how it looked from the Indigenous athlete standpoint, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times these conversations about initiatives happen without, like, like Orange Shirt Day was the primary one. Right. um, Where a lot of these things are happening around the city and it's like, okay, wait, have we ever even thought to ask a residential school survivor what they would like us to do with this time and this money and um so it's kind of like that so i sit in on some of these conversations and like okay what should we do um and i guess the main goal is just not make it performative Mm -hmm. let's not put off orange fireworks because we want them to be orange because it's september 30th that kind of thing so it was also really cool just to see the amount of work being put in behind the scenes to make sure that things were not performative because it, it was nice to feel cared about and to feel like it, our university was going to lengths to make sure that it wasn't performative. And that was, that was really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, now that you're overseas in Switzerland, mm-hmm. 
how have you been able to kind of like stay involved in these initiatives? I guess like that would probably be very challenging, obviously, like A, being far away, B, time zones, all the things. You're a professional athlete. You're (laughs) training, lifting, traveling all the time. Um, Yeah. I guess just like, yeah, how have you been able to stay involved um, in all these amazing things that you are doing? For sure. Right now, I'm going to be honest, I'm not really involved in much. Um, The Indigenous group that runs through the U of S. I'm still in their group chat. (laughs) They had their first meeting a few weeks ago, but I was not able to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, And besides that, when Nishka's on kind of like a quiet period right now, we're all, the three of us are transitioning into a lot of different life stages. Mm -hmm. So we're hoping by winter, we'll be back up and running programming again. Um, And then the walk, continues yes. i don't walk as much obviously but i do have the, a, steps. the steps yeah and i have again other people who walk and we add all the numbers together and it becomes less daunting every six months yeah <laughs> for sure that's awesome um, yeah it's it's a challenge though being over here and or being everywhere but home yeah totally <laughs> i guess my question for you you've obviously been so involved in an insane amount of initiatives and also competing um and maintaining i'm sure very good grades how i guess how did university impact your mental health or just like being so involved with everything just like how how are you doing yeah (laughs) okay how uh, (laughs) this is gonna be a lengthy one okay so in my high school life, I was terrible with homework. I was terrible in class. I struggled. I was like one grade away from not graduating high school. It was terrifying when it came down to it. Um, and I think a lot of it was just for me being stubborn and yeah, just not, I didn't want to be at school. So I, mentally was not there I didn't have friends I was very yeah it was just not a good time for me and that did not help whatsoever with going to university I did not have the study habits the organization the time management none of that I was very lucky in high school I was very lucky in high school I was in a very small French immersion program that was in a very big high school so I couldn't slip through the cracks like in a lot of big high schools in Winnipeg Um, but I definitely did not help myself when it came to university. Like it was my whole first year. Um, if my, the guy I was dating at the time would sit with me on the phone for hours while I did my homework or while I studied why. And I probably spent more, more than 50% of the time just crying because I had no idea how to actually be a student. And on top of that, um, so that was in fall of 2017 is when I started university, but, uh, December, 2016, my brother had passed away. So on top of all of that, I was just like, not mentally, I wasn't processing because I moved away so fast. Mm -hmm. It like in my brain, nothing had happened, you know, like I was very removed from the situation. I didn't have to think about it until it was like thrown in my face. Um, So I eventually would just like, there were so many weeks that I just didn't go to class and I just got so depressed. It was awful. And this one practice, it was a one-on-one with me and one of the men's setters. And he was trying to, my coach was trying to teach me how to do a stride slide set. And I remember this, it's going to be a core memory for the rest of my life. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I couldn't do it. And for someone who's played almost all the sports under the sun and has definitely not been able to do things before, I lost it. Like I just started bawling and I could not stop. I cried and I cried and I cried. And that was kind of the beginning of me realizing that it was more than just, I don't know how to do school. Um, little things would happen. Like preseason tournament, I got hit in the head with a ball. And I think I cried for the rest of the game. And Mark kept saying, like, do you want me to take you off? I'm like, no, it's fine. Like, I'm okay. I don't know why I'm crying. And then I would just cry. 
Um, yeah, it's like the smallest, littlest things. And then I started getting hurt. Like I tore part of my rotator cuff and then I got concussed. Um, I tweaked a thing in my wrist. Like it was all these little things that just were very massive red flags that were like, you need to slow down and you need to like figure out what's going on because I, my body obviously was trying to tell me that things were not okay. And I did not, I was, I had the emotional intelligence of like a three-year-old in university when I first got there. Like I had no idea that my, my first therapy appointment, they showed me a wheeling of a wheel of feelings. And it was like, it starts with the four basic feelings and it goes out into like very distinct feelings because they, when they were like, Oh, like what's wrong? And I'm, I'm upset. Okay. Well, what are you actually feeling? Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized I've, again, coming back to the whole teacher thing, there's so many things that I wish I would have been taught in elementary school or in high school, like things that could really change a kid's life, like being, being able to identify their feelings. Like that's, it's huge. It's crazy that I was, <laughs> that I was 21 and like, well, what do you mean? What am I feeling? I'm upset. Okay. Well, what kind of upset? Like, are you embarrassed? Are you feeling rejected? And it's just like, uh, I'm upset. <laughs> That's all I got for you. I'm upset. Um, so yeah, mental health was a big, a huge thing for me first year. My grades were not well enough for me to get my scholarship in my second year. So that was a real kick in the butt to figure things out. Um, and it's, it's hard to, to be where I am and to even think about that, like happening. Um, and thinking about all the other student athletes who probably are in the same boat and Mm -hmm. don't know what to do and just like feel so lost because I was so helpless. Like I had, I didn't even know my grades were that bad. That's how lost I was. Like I, if I, if I got out of bed to go to class that day, that was it. That was good for me. Um, obviously I showed up to practice, like everything was fine. And until all the crying started happening, then Mark was like, okay, like we need to talk about this. Um, there was, there was one class, it was a religious, a religion studies class. And it was the end of the first semester. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get my shit together. I'm going to study for this. I, I've never studied that much in my life. There was one chapter of this of the whole semester that I was like, you know what? She asked me one question about that. It's okay. I can, I'll take the L on that one question. I'll take the zero out of four or whatever. The entire exam was about that question. Still. Or that chapter. Yep. Um, yep. Oh, 35% of my mark. Classic. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was just a little side story for you. <laughs> but yeah. And it did like, it didn't, I'm very, I'm very thankful that I had a supportive family and my boyfriend at the time, I honestly think I would have failed out if he didn't sit with me on FaceTime for hours on end, helping me submit my homework. Um, but yeah, and then eventually though, like you have to figure out how to do it yourself, like, especially when you're living away from home, um, and asking for help or even feeling the need to need help or to want help is so like as an athlete that your self-confidence goes through the ground. Like your whatever ego, small, big you have is gone. As soon as you're like, I can't do this by myself. Um, you know, from a young age, it's like, you need to figure out how to do this. You need to figure out how to get through this. And of course I'm so thankful that I learned all those lessons, but there's one area of life where that does not get you anywhere. And that's mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so going to my first therapist appointment, Mark and I had gotten really close at this point, you know, like I told him everything, everything I was worried about leaving home. Um, you know, I was worried about my family, leaving my mom by herself, all this stuff. So we made a therapist appointment and I'm pretty sure it took six weeks for me to get in. And already I was like, okay, so now I've admitted that I can't do this by myself, but now you're asking me to do it for another six weeks. Yeah. Like, and not, not Mark specifically, just like our healthcare system. Yeah. Um, and things just got worse and worse and worse. So by like the third week, Mark was like, Hey, whatever, you're coming to my office. You're going to sit here with me once a week and we're going to talk. 
until you can get in and see this person. He's like, I don't care what we talk about. We can talk about volleyball. We can talk about football. Like, I don't really care. But, like, you're not going to go through this alone. And that probably saved my whole career, that that one conversation I had with him. Um, and, like, just, like, myself as a human. Like, that gave me so much hope. So I went to this appointment, and it was an intake with someone who was supposed to be, like, the liaison between athletes and the mental health nurses. And the only thing I will, I will ever be able to remember from that appointment was her telling me that with someone who's struggling with the feelings that I am, like with grief and stuff like that, that it would probably be best for me to move home and to pick a home that wasn't emotionally wavering as an elite sport and she used to play uh basketball Mm -hmm. so I was like I I had a lot of hope going into this meeting because as someone you know you go to speak to someone who you think understands elite athletes and by all means, I don't blame anything on this person. I'm sure they were just trying their best and that's not what this story is about. Um, but to hear maybe you should pack it in as a kid who went to the U.S. with the hopes of one day playing for Team Canada was soul shattering. Yeah. <laughs> I was destroyed to say the least. Um, so I walked to Mark's office and said, how did it go? Said, you know, it was okay, whatever. And then later at practice, he asked me again after practice and again, like, I will never forget this. I just started crying and he goes, what's wrong? And I said, she told me I should, I should move home and stop playing or play at home. Like, I don't know. She just said I should move home. And Mark goes, yeah, over my dead body, will you be moving to Winnipeg, back to Winnipeg? And just another conversation. I was like, okay, maybe I can do this. Like being a first year isn't easy in general. And there were only two of us that year. I didn't have very many friends on the team. Um, My one roommate who played on the hockey team was, her and I became inseparable, but we were never home at the same time. Like I just (laughs) felt so isolated. And it was like these little brief moments of Mark being like, hey, it's gonna be okay. Or like, hey, I'm here for you. That really like kept me in that year. and putting grief and everything aside, sitting on the bench as a first year, <laughs> that's mentally challenging. Redshirting is not fun. Redshirting is not, especially when you are such a, a competitive, intense person who, at the end of the day, I went to university because I wanted to play professional volleyball. I wanted to play Team Canada. I wanted to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my head in that year, I was like, this one season is going to ruin my whole career. I'm not going to play for one year and I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to play Team Canada. And Mark's like, Avery, you know, it's it's one year. In six years, you're going to look back. It's going to be like nothing. I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> I need to play. And I was, I think I was um, medically eligible to dress for maybe two games that season. So even if I did, like it, that that year did not matter. And I think in hindsight, I'm not sure if I'm a person who believes that everything happens for a reason, but in hindsight, I think I needed that year to happen the way that it did for me to get to where I am. Because if that didn't happen, like that breakthrough with, okay, I need to go to therapy and I need to figure out what's what's going on in my head and with my body and stuff like that. If that had happened at any other point in my life, it just might've ruined my career. But when it happens at the time where you're not you know, you're not the starting setter for the third year in a row. You're not someone that everyone's looking to as a, as a leader. Um, you're not trying to make the Team Canada roster. Um, you know, like, it could have been a lot worse. Um, so I think that, that that happened in its own perfect timing. And the my five years after that were not a walk in a park, but a lot easier. I saw seven therapists. I was uh, medicated for anxiety and depression for two years um, and it, it didn't do anything. It made me very nauseous. Uh, I lost a lot of weight. 
I think at one point I weighed 135 and for reference, I weigh 165 now. Mm -hmm. Um, and that took like a huge toll on my body too. Like my, one of my physios, I have very chronically bad knees and it was just like, if you don't put on weight, you're not going to make it past your fourth year. Like you, it's either you put on weight or you're, you can say goodbye to your career pretty much. Um, so yeah, a lot was resting on me being able to be okay in between my ears. Yeah. And yeah, seven therapists, it took me to find one that I connected with. Um, and she was actually a student. Uh, she was doing her, um, her practicum, like her internship at the U of S and it turns out that I coached her daughter. (laughs) Yeah. That's and awesome. they would come, they would come to all the games and I'd see them in the stands. And I think that's par- probably partially why we connected is because she knew who I was. Yeah. Um, and not in like a creepy stalker way, yeah. but like in a, that's who I'm meeting with. I yeah. know what's on the line for her. Um, you know, a lot of the other therapists were, okay, so you're anxious. Well, have you tried grounding yourself? Which I'm sure again, works for so many other people. But when you're in the middle of a volleyball game, trying to, spot five things you can see, listen to four things you can hear, touch three things you can see in front of you, smell two things, taste one thing. Like it's not really going to work when it's... You don't have the time for that. <laughs> yeah. When it's 22, 23 in the third set. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it took a long time to find someone that works and that is hard. And the more athletes I talk to, more people I talk to, it's like, yeah, I tried. I tried four, I tried five, and I'm not doing it again. Um, and we can all share that same feeling of telling, like, tr- literally trauma dumping on this r- random person. Mm-hmm. And pretty much at the end being like, help me, please. And then mm-hmm. being like, okay, well, like, we'll see what we can do. I'll see you again in uh, seven weeks. Okay, well, like, for an athlete who needs immediate attention, that's not going to work. And that became a huge uh, part of my career as a Husky. I was very vocal, very public about my um, struggle getting through the student health care system, which, again, I'm super thankful that our university provides uh, mental health care for us. At, like, it's, it, it's free if you pay for it, like, if it's in your student tuition. Yeah. Um, it's covered and I'm very thankful for that. But at the same time, like most of us wouldn't have money to go elsewhere anyways. And the weight elsewhere would be just the same. Yeah. So at some point it was just like, okay, we need to change something. And last year we had our for our first full time um, counselor that was just for Husky athletes. Nice. So that was like a huge huge thing before I left. I was like, okay, I can leave in peace. I left the progress and I found it. We're good. Yeah. I'm still playing. We're good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, so I was on medication for depression and anxiety. I was talking to a therapist that I wasn't really getting along with, but by the time my fifth year came around like this last year, I found a therapist that I really connected with. Um, I saw a psychologist got reassessed Um, and the reason why the med that I was on before wasn't working is because I didn't, I was, I was depressed, but I didn't have like clinical depression and anxiety. Um, so I took the whole ADHD eight hour process, um, test and part of that, part of that sheet, uh, that you originally do is uh, a mood disorder evaluation. So I'd send it to my mom and I'd send it to myself and we both filled it out. So at the end of the three week process, all the testing, okay, you're, you have ADHD and you're bipolar too. So that's why the meds weren't working. Mm-hmm. And at that point it's like a sigh of relief, but also like, okay, now what? Like back at square mm-hmm. one, what am I supposed to do? And again, it was like, okay, we'll try this new medication. But the new medication they wanted me to go on is like, you have to slowly dose up and it, you won't feel the benefits for like eight weeks. So I'm like, okay, it takes eight weeks. It takes eight weeks. 
So we were about to host home playoffs and I was getting to the dosage that I would start feeling it at. And I can't like stop taking it abruptly or start taking it abruptly. So I, once I committed to starting to take this medication, I'd have to take it. And I knew eventually it was going to get into playoffs and then it could not be the best thing for me. Mm-hmm. So I, we were, it was our first game. It was against UVM. I think it was a th- Thursday night. I'm sitting on the sidelines, tying my shoes and untying them and retying them and untying them, <laughs> retying them and untying them. <laughs> and Mark comes out to me and goes, are you okay? I said, yeah. And like this whole previous semester, I had been constantly running out of practice, throwing up because this stupid med made me so nauseous. And I was just like, had no compete. Like there was just nothing left of like Avery as an athlete. And I looked at him and I went, Mark, I, I feel like somebody drugged me. Like, I'm not, like, I, I feel like I've been drugged. He goes, okay, like, let's <laughs> leave the gym. Let's go calm down a little bit. So we go, and I'm, like, holding this bag of ice, trying to calm down, trying to calm down. And I'm like, how the frick am I supposed to play volleyball game when I feel like I'm on another planet? And eventually, I'm just like, whatever. We had all these little things my therapist and I came up with that were supposed to help because I had panic attacks previously during games. So we had all these little things, like, we were trying to write different sayings each week. We'd write a different saying on the back of my hand. Um, that was supposed to like, the key was to not distract me from having a panic attack. The key was to, um, keep myself from panicking about having feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of being like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Trying to suppress, okay, I'm anxious or I'm overwhelmed or whatever feeling it might be at the time being like, okay. Uh, first of all, I am not any of my feelings. I have those feelings and that's okay. Like the worst thing that's going to happen to me is that maybe I'm going to play one bad ball, two bad balls. Maybe we'll lose this game. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be the end of the world? No. And did any of those three things? Yeah. Maybe I played a few bad points, but we never lost the game because I had feelings, you know, right. like it was very, yeah. I'm not. I am not overwhelmed. I have overwhelming feelings. I'm not going to lose this game, but we might lose this game. Right. And none of those things have correlation. Um, so the one of the things that we wrote on the back of my hand was, I'm safe. Okay, so I'm overwhelmed, but I'm also safe. Um, and that tended to, again, not distract me, but to remind me, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm a freaking human. Like, I'm allowed to, to feel overwhelmed or to feel stressed in these moments. Like, that's kind of the point. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and the one I had written on my hand that day was let them, as in like, let the feelings come, acknowledge them, let them sit with you, let them do whatever the frick they want, because you, you're not your feelings, you just have them. Um, and so I'm staring at that thing, this stupid thing on my hand, and I'm like, I'm fine, I, I'm allowed to feel this, <laughs> I'm allowed to feel like I'm on another planet. And on like the science end of things too, she was like, okay, here's two things that we we know for sure. If you feel something cold or really warm, anything that you can feel that disrupts your nervous system, that will help um, calm your nervous system down, almost like bring it back to baseline. So at the start of a game, I'd have something written on the back of my hand. I'd have a bag of ice on the, uh, on the bench and a Jolly Rancher. So a Jolly Rancher was, I ate a Jolly Rancher before every single game, starting in club, because my coach would give me a Jolly Rancher. And then towards the end of you, I never stopped. Like, I did it all throughout university, but it started to become like a, like a, uh, like almost like a calming strategy. Like, okay, I'm going to have a Jolly, it's dumb, but I had a Jolly Rancher in my mouth, like a hard one during warm up, which probably mm-hmm. shouldn't be doing that. But it had me, like, because it was sour in my head, I was like, okay, well, I'm nervous now, but I'm going to eat this Jolly Rancher. It's going to bring me back to baseline. If I ever get overwhelmed throughout the game, I have my bag of ice. Like I had all my bases covered. And as an athlete, there's nothing, there's no better feeling than going into a game prepared. Mm-hmm. And I think that at the end of the day, honestly, that might've been more helpful than any of these little strategies that we had, but going into a game, knowing like there is a very good chance I will have a panic attack. And if I do, I'm, I'm not going to die. I know that. So worst case scenario is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. again if we lose the game we lose the game but other than that like I'm in control of every other thing 
on on the whole spectrum tonight. If that, I don't know if that makes any sense. But yeah, totally. Yeah, sorry, I I think I bounced around a lot there. No, but... it's all good. No, I think you have such an incredible story, and hats off to your coach oh. for like being so supportive with you. I know, like that. I don't know. That's such a special relationship to have. And my my teammates too. I think they taught me a lot about the power in being so vulnerable and like it was so uncomfortable it was so uncomfortable to walk into the team room after having a panic attack during the middle of the game and having like someone four years younger than you looking at another teammate like what is wrong with her like is she okay um like it's so embarrassing but after i i feel like with the amount that i have been vulnerable with my teammates um it's not like if i were playing this year and a first year saw, saw me have a panic attack on the court it's it wouldn't be an elephant in the room like the girl next to her to her could literally be like she has panic attacks when she plays like it's not a big deal right and at the end of the day again like that's kind of the point like i don't want it to be like this hush hush thing while avery avery's bipolar and avery has panic attacks like blah, blah. well no yeah i have bipolar and yeah i have panic attacks um and that's kind of just who i am as an athlete and I don't want other athletes to feel like they're put in a position where they can't be themselves and be an elite athlete, like especially using that as a reason to not chase a dream. Like, Oh, I don't want to, what if this happens? Then I'll have to tell them. Or what if they find out and they don't yeah. want me on the team? And cause that same thing went through my head. I told Mark, I was like, what if I have a panic attack during tryouts one year? What if I have a panic attack when I'm playing overseas? Like what is going to happen? Like, do you think they'll not want me? Yeah. And he's like, Avery, if they didn't want you, they wouldn't have you. Like, there's <laughs> there's nothing, it has nothing to do with your mental health. You're at a point where you can play, you can live anywhere, you can play anywhere, you can take care of yourself. Obviously, it's not going to be perfect, but it, it can't be a reason for them not to take you. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot more younger athletes need to hear that. Like, everyone, no, no elite athlete is perfect, especially yeah. when it comes to mental health. Like, nobody's it's not a cakewalk for anyone. <laughs> yeah. And I think even too, that's kind of like a big reason why we wanted to start this podcast is because mm. obviously you hope that like nobody's struggling with these things, but that's just not the reality. And yeah. I think it's like having people like you on the podcast to talk about their experiences with these things. And mm. yeah, I like too how you're like, I'm a person with bipolar like that's not like yeah. everything about me it's just like something in my life um and I think it's just like a testament to obviously like everything that you've been saying is just like yeah you can be an elite athlete and still struggle with these things and I just think that's so important for not even like younger athletes but also like I think about our like university teammates and things like yeah. that who are like nearing the end of their careers because I think it is such a a common thing but it's not a normalized thing for um, sure to be struggling in this way and so yeah I think that was definitely like I know Jules at the beginning of starting this podcast like that was like a big part of your heart too and like sharing these stories and having people like you Avery on the podcast to to talk about your experiences and like yeah, yeah just that it, it's not everything about you but it is something that you have to deal with and yeah. like that's I think that's a lot of people but it's still so scary to like share about that so no for yeah. sure it's thanks terrifying. for sharing thanks <laughs> anytime <laughs> i think too for first years it's such a first years who move away from home holy like to i wish i had the time in my day to sit with each and every one of them and be like you, there are going to be things that you need that you don't want to ask for but you mm -hmm. at some point like we we have to help ourselves and to, to be able to tell a younger athlete, like, hey, I know it's hard. It's really freaking hard. And you don't even have to admit that to yourself. But I, I know. I know that it sucks and it's terrible. And, you know, a lot of these athletes come from starting on their club teams or on their yeah. provincial teams. And now you're playing with girls who are five or six years older than you. Yeah. Like, that is that is a hard reality. That is a very hard reality. Mm -hmm. And to not feel like part of the core of the team is is tough. And it's it brings on a lot of mental stress, even if you don't already have 
mental health um, problems. Like that's something that just weighs on you, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think first year is just so hard and being able to help yourself at that level is crucial. Like to be, to be able to be like, you know what, I, I'm struggling. I want to talk to someone or I need to talk to someone. Um, I need help figuring out how to do my freaking homework. Like yeah. if I could have said that to one of my teammates, yeah. how much that would helped. Yeah. No, that's great. Uh, no, I totally yeah. agree. We were actually coaching, um, like a couple or last month in Ontario, we did like a presentation to younger athletes on just like what university is like. And I think our main message was honestly just like, please don't be scared to reach out for help. Like that was like the main mm-hmm. message. I think for us. Right? wasn't that like what we mostly talked about? Yeah. I feel like especially like, cause yeah, in school, your personal life and whatever sport you're playing, it's just like, it all like goes to the next level. I feel like when you're in first year. Oh yeah. And it's so like, scary. <laughs> like soars above so high fast. school or like whatever your previous experience was. And everyone is like going through the same things, but it's so hard to talk about. And then, yep. you know, you kind of like become close friends with someone and you're like, Hey, do you remember like when like this was happening? Like I was feeling this way. And then like, I always have this experience and they're like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Me too. And yeah. yeah, it just, so yeah, that was a fun, a fun presentation that we got to give um, with yeah. the high school girls, but yeah, it's crazy. It's hard. I, and knowing like the coach player relationship is such a tricky thing to navigate when it's your first year, mm-hmm. like going to talk to your coach about anything is terrifying. Like when you forget what time practices and you don't want to ask one of your teammates and you're like, do I ask my coach? Do I not? That's terrifying. Never mind. Hey, like I am having a really hard time in general with life right yeah, now. Or like, that is terrifying. Even like struggling yeah. in school, I think it's hard to admit yeah. because your coach is like, well, if you don't maintain this GPA, you're going to lose right. your scholarship. So then obviously you don't want to admit to them, hey, I'm actually failing yeah. this class. It's scary. It's really scary. And to, I think for a lot of younger athletes too, depending on who they've been coached by previously, but I think the biggest fear is, well, if I tell them they're not going to play me. Right. And I think I want to write a personalized note to every person that ever plays for Mark Dodds ever again in their life (laughs) and say that like you as an athlete and you as a human are two very different things. And there's not a day in your life that you will ever be treated as one or the other but you are who you are. And if, if he, if a coach wasn't going to trust someone because they had mental health problems and mental health issues, um, dealt with mental illness, I don't, I like, I, I just want to like put it on a massive billboard and be like, I still got to play. I was still trusted. And I was beyond struggling. Like I would, I was having meltdowns during the game and I, I still got to be in there. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's not, this thing that you need to be ashamed of and this thing that's going to hold you back in your athletic career. And it's not something, if you let it, it won't be something that holds you back. Right. But that's the key is that you have to, you can't give it the power to do that, I guess. Yeah. But that's yeah, good advice. It's very important to talk about these things. So I think it's really awesome that you guys do this podcast. I was so, I was so excited when Jules <laughs> asked me to come on. I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh, no, because <laughs> We've been wanting to have you want to have like a little list of like my volleyball people that I'm just like we have it's so funny too because like how much has happened in both like your life and my life since we were like 12 years old yet we can still like get together and chat and it's like no time has passed I just think it's so cool that we can still like connect and chat yeah so important and Avery you're doing like the most incredible things ever yeah it's pretty cool I was actually my mom called me and she was like what are you doing today I was like oh you remember the two girls that like I hung out with in Niagara at Team Canada tryouts when we were like 15 and she's like yeah the girls from Halifax like yeah one of them has a podcast now and she asked to interview me (laughs) and she goes 
oh, so what is she up to now? I was like, well, she's playing in Sweden and has a podcast. And she's like, that's so weird that you two just like grew up. And yeah. like, you, you're both just actual like humans now doing stuff with your life. Yep. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this, it's pretty weird. It is. It would have never guessed. No. no. So cool. if you told me, you know, 23 yeah. year old, you would be living in Sweden with a podcast. I wouldn't have believed you. But here we are. She told me I was going to be a teacher. I'd laugh in your face. <laughs> yeah. Life is crazy. It is. Really crazy. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on over you. This You're welcome. such an incredible episode. I'm sure all the listeners learned a lot. I know I learned a lot and it was so good to reconnect and wishing you all the best in Switzerland. Yeah, cool. Well, I hope you guys have a good rest of your semester season, first half of whatever you call a normal year when you're not in university. Yeah. Fall. Have a good fall. (laughs) You too. Thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it.